told a stranger, I said, are we done with Mincha now? No, not now, not now. Now. <laughs> nice Yekki Shashul. That's a story of the Yekki who came to Shul late and he was very upset. Comes home, he's crying to his wife, he came late to Mincha. Oh, it's this tragedy, you know, Mamash came late to Mincha. When did you get there? They were already saying Yoshve. <laughs> so you got to love them. Okay, 9 o'clock, Bo um, We've been, since uh, post-Purim, uh, discussing Chagim, and not, not less the topic, the announced topic of the year, of science and Torah and science and interchange and rendezvous, whatever word we used. Although during before Pesach, I gave a shir about the chemistry of chametz, which I thought was of interest. Um, and the last uh, two weeks, we dealt with uh, Yom Shoah issues and Yom Atzmut issues, which you know certainly begged for discussion on those topics. <clears throat> and the truth of the matter is, I'm looking down the calendar, and I see that um, this coming Sunday is another item on the calendar, the 14th of Iyar, Pesach Sheni, and week after we will be the day before Lag Omer, and week afterwards we'll be right before Yom Yerushalayim, and the week afterwards right before Shavuot. So I'm just going to uh, continue on this uh, frequency of dealing with some aspect of the Chagim, and the Mitzvah Shem after Shavuot we'll get back to the topic at hand until uh, whatever summer break uh, we'll do. The um, Pesach Sheni marked in the calendar. Uh, let me just start with a picture. You're not going to be able to all see this. I don't have this uh, on, a, on a screen to light up, but I'll tell you what it is. You're going to have to believe me, whoever wants to see it afterwards. And my daughter who lives in Kibbutz Shalabim sent me a picture two days ago of people going onto the field with sickles and um, reaping their first wheat. Uh, that we have uh, from the fields. So I wrote back in response. Um, I wrote. Uh, she, my daughter writes the shame mitzvat matzah. Um, they're cutting with a sickle. The idea is that you know today we have all kinds of machinery and so on, but they because they give the wheat to uh, companies that bake matzah shmura and matzah. And there are some people that, for purposes of Seder night, the mitzvah of eating matzah um, has to be done by hand. Not everybody agrees with this, but some people have that particular stringency. So the question is, at what point do you not have a machine touch the process? So according to most, it's the baking process. So the uh, oven is used in, the way, in a similar way to the way pizza is put into the oven, so a matzah is put into the oven. Or whether it's conveyor and so on. 
uh, in a machine matzah, everything done is automated, and, and the, the dough is placed on the conveyor by machine as well. As opposed to a hand matzah, it's done the same way it was done 3,000 years ago. The, um, if somebody thinks that a machine cannot create a matzah, the shame mitzvah, nobody ever said that a machine matzah was chametz. But uh, the idea of can you use it and say a bracha, that's the issue that was already dealt with in the 19th century. The Rebbe of Sanz was very against the machine matzahs, and as you know, many of the chassidim will be careful to use matzah, hand, hand matzahs on Saturday night for sure, and if not for the entire uh, uh, Pesach. But um, the issue of not having a machine come to contact with the process may take it all the way back to the field where the shmura is mishat ktsira. The shmura means from the time of the reaping, it's carefully guarded that no water comes in contact with it, and that's really the stringency of matzah shmura, where every matzah that you get, the regular matzot, are also shmura, but it's not from ktsira, from the time of the, uh, we- uh, the, the, the harvest, right? The reaping of the wheat, but it's from the time of either the kneading of the dough, or certainly at the time of the um, you know, putting it into the matzah. The, some, some say it would require shmirah, guarding from water at the time that the wheat is ground into uh, kemach, into flour. And the reason where that stringency came in is because they used to use water mills uh, to grind the wheat into flour. And uh, sometimes the water would spritz, and that could co- cause some chomet situation. And the last, the uh, most lenient is, is Shmura Mishat Lisha, the time of the kneading of the dough, and that's where everybody is careful, even for the regular matzot. So therefore, if somebody doesn't have what says on the box, matzah Shmura, but just has regular kosher lepesah matzahs, you certainly can make the bracha on it for say the night, because that, that's what you have. That's the, but we buy the matzah Shmura, where the Shmira, the guarding from water, took place early in the game from the time of the field already, Mishat Tzira. So if that's the case, so those who do not want a machine to touch the, the, the process will, will, will cut the wheat like they did in the good old days with a sickle. And uh, my daughter shows this in the picture that um, they're cutting it with a sickle. And she writes, the Shem Matzat Mitzvah, uh, you know, they, they even say, that, you know, it's doing for the mitzvah of matzah with kavona, and they're kotsvim in magal, they're cutting it with a sickle. So I wrote, the Pesach Sheni, is this a, this is a Pesach Sheni? So my daughter writes, Tavshin Ayin Tet. Tavshin Ayin, which next year? Next, for next year's Pesach already. And, um, okay, so what's the deal with the Pesach Sheni? The truth of the matter is... Do they plow the field by hand? <laughs> Do they plow by hand? No, no, no. Because no. when you're plowing, there's no wheat yet. Matzah is, is wheat, and wheat starts at a certain point. Okay. Um, for more practical purposes, this coming Sunday is a weekday, there's really no big deal about it. The Vilna Goin had a minag to eat a kezayat matzah on Pesach Sheni, almost like we eat an extra matzah for Afikoyman to remember the Korban Pesach. That's where it begins, that's where it ends. And in Shul, or when we daven, uh, we'll see in a moment that this is a rather recent development to delete saying Tachnun during davening. I say it's a recent development, but it's, uh, once these things kick into the uh, Shul Minhag, it's almost impossible to uh, kick it out. It's like it's in to stay. Uh, but we'll see in a few minutes that uh, in the sources of days that we don't say Tachnun, Pesach Shani is not mentioned at all. And we'll see why. It's not, it's not an oversight. <coughs> and the question is, why what might be the reason that all of a sudden, 19th century, 
you know, we got a real uh, idea that maybe we should delete Tachnon on Pesach Sheni. So let's start from the scratch. The essence of Pesach Sheni, uh, source number one comes from Sefer Chinuch, Mitzvah Shinpei 380, from Parshat Bahalotcha, Mitzvah Pesach Sheni Ba'arba'ah Asar Bi'iyar, the 14th of Iyar, month after the 14th of Nisan, which 14th of Nisan is the day of the uh, slaughtering and offering of the Korban Pesach, and the eating of the Korban Pesach is at night, at Seder time, on the f- night of the 15th. Now, we'll say at the outset, Pesach Sheni does not mean that it's a take-two of Chag HaMatzot. Chag HaMatzot and Pesach are two different things in the Chumash. Chag HaMatzot is a seven-day Yom Tov from the 15th of Nisan, count seven days to the 21st, inclusive, and the first day and the seventh day, there's no Belacha, there's Cholamoyed in between, Yinalat Yitchameitz, and, and really, that's what it is. It's, and this Ali al-Regel, when there was Beit HaMikdash, it goes Yerushalayim, with all the requisite mitzvot that are associated with Ali al-Regel. Pesach, in the Torah, is Erev, what we call Erev Pesach. It's the 14th. It's the day that the Korban Pesach is dealt with. Now, the Korban Pesach is eaten, consumed, on the night of the 15th with Matzah and Maror, when there was Beit HaMikdash, of course. So that's where the connection is. Now, what does a Jew do in the days of Beit HaMikdash but he happened to have been on Mars. Now, that didn't happen, actually, but let's assume that could happen in the third Beit HaMikdash. Um, or, or, or you're anywhere in the world, anywhere in the world, you're not in Yerushalayim, and it's Pesach, uh, we call Pesach, Hagamatzot, and you're not going to be there to offer or be participant in a Korban Pesach. So does that mean you don't have Yom Tov? Of course not, you have Yom Tov. You have exactly the same Yom Tov that we do, seven days, First day, seventh day, no malacha, or limited malacha, cholamoyed, eat, no eating chametz for seven days, or seder at night, with everything but the korban pesach. You have to seder basically the way we do it today. And that's chagam for everybody, whether there is a beta mikdash or no beta mikdash. The only thing missing is the korban pesach. And that specific detail, there's an allowance for a, 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 a rerun a month later, on the 14th of Iyar. We'll see in a moment who is this applicable to. But whatever it is, it's a type of rerun. But it's not a rerun of the seven days. It's just a rerun on eating the Korban Pesach with Matzah and Moror on the night of the 15th of Iyar, where it's slaughtered and dealt with in Beit HaMikdash on the 14th in the afternoon, just like the 14th in the afternoon in Nisan a month ago. Now it's Iyar. And in the night, you sit down and you have the Korban Pesach with Matzah and Moro. There's no Seder, there's no Sipu Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim, there's no prohibition of Chomets. Imagine with this eating of Pesach, Matzah and Moro, you can have fresh, uh, you know, angel and Burmans of breads and, and rolls with it. Uh, not an issue. There's no Yom Tov. You can have the Korban Pesach while you're watching the news. Or else listening to the radio. It's, it's, it's not a week, it's not a Shabbos Yom Tov at all. It's a complete weekday. It's just that this specific item that was missed on the first night of the Seder, or on the day before the preparation of the Korban Pesach, this can be made up a week, month later. That's all. So, so this, this is going to be very important for something I'll say at the end of the uh, Shi'ud. So let's take a look. Uh, the first paragraph, Shi'aseh Pesach Sheni, you shall make the prepare the second Pesach Sheni, fourteenth of Iyar. Who has this mitzvah? Whoever could not be there a month ago on the fourteenth of Nisan, 
Kigon, for example. So here he begins with two classic examples that are mentioned in the Chumash. And then he'll go on to expand what the Halakha goes on to say, basically, it means anybody. The Torah says, Mechamat Tumah, person was Tamemet, which means within a week before Pesach, he came in contact with a dead person. Could have been physically, could have been carrying a coffin, could have been under the roof of somebody who died. So the person is Tamemet. And why do I say within a week? Because it takes a week to become Tahor, to purify with the Paraduma scenario, so if anybody became Tomei Mate from the 8th of Nisan onward until the 14th, that person could not eat from the Korban Pesach that year in Nisan. Certainly by Iyar, a month later, he could have become Tahor. Not a problem. Oshayab Derech is far away. How far away is far away? So the truth of the matter is, the Gemara tells us that it's about a day's travel from Yerushalayim. So it draws a radius around Yerushalayim, and west of Yerushalayim, it gets to the area of Modi'in. So that was called a day's travel uh, from Yerushalayim. When my son drove from Ramot to Modi'in, uh, I, I don't think it took a day. I think it took, uh, I don't think it took a half an hour. So, right. So what's a day's travel? If we would translate this into modern idiom, so um, maybe those in Melbourne, Australia would be boxed out. Maybe. We're not even sure about that. Because the reason that the flight takes 24 hours because there's a... Uh, 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 stale, you know, you have to transfer planes, so no direct flight. But if there'll be a direct flight, we probably could do it in uh, less than 24 hours. But uh, Modi'in is one of the out boundaries of, of Yerushalayim for this purpose. Shneemar, as it says in Parshat Bahalotcha, Bamidbar Peretet, Bachodesh Hashini Barbasayom Ben Abayim Yasoto, on the second month of, the, on the 14th of the second month, in the afternoon hours, you shall prepare this. Not just somebody who was Tamei or far away from Yerushalayim. It was an accident. Shagag means, it slipped your mind that I was Erev Pesach. No, that's funny. <laughs> All right. All right, maybe the person was suffering from partial dementia. I don't know. Whatever. It slipped his mind. And he was, uh, was just preoccupied with some onenas. He was on his way to Yerushalayim, but got a flat tire, and then something happened, and he never made it to Yerushalayim, right? It's like uh, several years ago, some of you remember, uh, those people who were traveling to the hotels in the Caskill Mountains, except that there was a blizzard, and people got stuck, and it was a three-day yomtev, it was Thursday, Friday, Shabbos, and here they were out nowhere, stuck in the snow, with no Pesach provisions. Yeah, that's, that's not so simple. So that's a person in that scenario planned to come to Yerushalayim but just never made it. Or Afilu Hizid, even on purpose. He said, this year, no, we're not going to Yerushalayim because last year Mr. Cohen made me wait online so long to do the Korban Pesach, not coming this year. And then after Pesach, he regrets this. He says, that was a pretty dumb thing to say. So even if he did it deliberately, deliberately did not bring the Korban Pesach, and Veloi Kriv Barishon did not bring it in the first month, that is Nisan. Makriv Besheni brings it in Iyar. So you see that this is a very, very generous type of makeup, type of mitzvah. And he, the, the author of Sefer Chinuch wants to explain, as he does, the rationale for this mitzvah. I mean, my gosh, uh, everybody who wasn't there for Pesach Rishon makes Pesach Sheni. Um, no matter what, uh, whether you had an excuse, you didn't have an excuse, it's almost like the Torah is begging you 
don't miss this mitzvah. And even if you did mitzvah, hey, try it a second time around. Why? Mishoshem mitzvah, which is the opening line of Sefer Achinuch saying this is the mitzvah rationale. And here he says things that he basically said already in Parshat Bo with regard to Pesach and all the various mitzvot of Pesach. Let's remember, this is Parshat Baalotcha in the Sefer uh, Bamidbar in the, the second year of Am Yisrael in the Midbar, in the desert. In the first time around, in Parshat Bo, you have all the mitzvot of Pesach and Korban Pesach, and, and Sefer Chinuch goes to town explaining them what, what's, why it's so central a mitzvah. But here he has to fortify this to explain why it's such a central mitzvah that we don't want anybody leave, left out in the cold. And, and everybody's brought into this. This is the, the, the store, the mitzvah of Pesach is a strong sign and clear to anybody who can see the sun. That means anybody who's got his eyes open in the creation of the world. In those days, God performed tremendous amount of wonders and miracles. In front of many nations of the world, nature was changed, world laws of nature changed. And it was clear to all that God does participate in the providence of mortal man on this earth. That moment, everybody believed. And forever they're going to believe that there is such a God creator of the world. He created the world from something from nothing when he wanted to. That was the time that he did it, that we know. The whole idea of creation, something from nothing, denies the laws of nature. So too, to split a sea and have, dry, have a dry pathway and have people go through and then to return to being a sea. And then to provide for such a large nation for 40 years in the desert from heavenly food on a daily basis. And all of these miracles, they're all against the laws of nature. The idea of creation of the world is a pillar in our belief in our Torah. Those who believed in the eternity of the universe, they're, they're, they're heretics, complete heretics, and do not have a, a share in what we call Olam Abba. There's no need to elaborate because this is very, very famous and known. So why does he elaborate? <laughs> but <laughs> this he calls short. God's will that every single person of Am Yisrael should be part of this. And, and an accidental situation or being far away should not prevent you from being a participant in this mitzvah. And if it happened, Yikra'eu means it happened, there was an occurrence, that you, know, you, you got stuck in the first month in Nisan and you did not uh, have the, uh, the mer- you were not meritorious in performing the mitzvah in Nisan, you'll do it in the, in the second month. And then he says something startling. 
And because this is such an important fundamental idea in our religion, this obligation applies as well to a convert between Yudalad Nisan and Yudalad Iyar. Imagine a Yom Atzvot. Somebody was so impressed with the 70th year, says, I want to join the Am Yisrael, and becomes a ger. Of course, that's not going to happen overnight in this country, but let's assume in theory that a person goes through giyur between Pesach Rishon and Pesach Sheni. So the Sefer Chinuch says he has to bring Pesach Sheni as well. V'chein katan she'igdil, a bar mitzvah boy, between the 14th of Iyar and the 14th of, 14th of Nisan and the 14th of Iyar, she'chayevim lasot Pesach Sheni. That person will also have to bring Pesach Sheni. I underline this because this is a source of contention. And the Sefer Chinuch integrates an opinion that the Rambam happens to support, and he integrates it into his mitzvah rationale, which is a little bit tricky. Because... If you have a dispute in halakha, so you have to keep the dispute on the side. Because de- those are details. You want to talk about the big picture. When you talk about ta'amea mitzvot, mitzvah rationale, talk about the big picture. So it, it's, it's certainly valid to talk about why there is such a concept of a makeup for uh, Pesach Sheni. That's, that's a legitimate discussion. But then when you bring it down to a detail and you say, and, and, and it's this support, and because of this, that's why the ger, the convert, and the, the bar mitzvah boy between the two dates of the 14th and 14th would be obligated. And, and, and it's, it's, it's simply uh, uh, almost a thought that, that enhances the mitzvah rationale. This, these two very points are subject to contention. Whether a convert between Pesach Rishon and Pesach Sheni or a bar mitzvah boy between Pesach Rishon and Pesach Sheni is obligated in the Pesach Sheni. So, I say he does something a little tricky here. He's almost like um, selling me an idea as if it's accepted by all, but really it's not accepted by all. It's accepted by the Rambam. And the author of Sefer Chinuch, that's his policy. He adopted the Rambam's point of view, which is perfectly legitimate. But then to integrate it into the mitzvah rationale, that's a little bit shaky, whether, whether there's a good cause for that. Now, to get to all these points, we're going to see that there is a litmus test as to whether or not Pesach Sheni is defined as a mitzvah on individuals or a mitzvah that's a corporate entity type of mitzvah. Corporate entity means Am Yisrael fulfills the mitzvah. When, when you, and we have, I'll give you a few examples to illustrate. And we say that there's a corporate entity the only question then becomes practical. Who's Mr. Am Yisrael to do the mitzvah? Who is the who represents the corporate entity? So if you take, for example, the Rambam says the mitzvah of building Beit HaMikdash is a corporate entity. You cannot say that an individual uh, has a great idea, he's going to go blow up the mosque on our bayit, and he's going to call a kablan. You can't do that. That's not a mitzvah. That's an avera. You can't do that. It's a mitzvah on Klai Yisrael. The question is... Who gets it done? So the Rambam talks about it, that there has to be a melech, and there has to be this, there has to be that. There has to be conditions that are ripe for the building of Beit HaMikdash, but it's a function of Klal Yisrael. Uh, so too, eradicating the nation of Amalek. If you happen to have met up with Amalek, you pull a gun, you shoot him, you're a murderer. There's a scenario of how Am Yisrael deals with the war against Amalek. And so too, the mitzvah of appointing of a king. The Rambam gives several examples as to what might be considered exclusively a mitzvah on the tzibur, on the community. 
On the other hand, most of the mitzvot are on the individuals. If you happen to be on a deserted island in the Pacific Ocean, you still have to keep Shabbat, you still have to observe Kashrut, you still have to daven, you still have to put on tefillin, you still have to eat uh, matzah on Seder night, and so on, the, and take a lulav and etrog and sit in a sukkah. And, and the, these are mitzvot that are binding on the individual. If all of Am Yisrael fulfills them, that's wonderful. But, but even if they don't, and you're the last Jew in the world, you still have that obligation. These are the obligations were given to the individual. So most of the mitzvot fall into that category. There are obligations on individuals. As opposed to a handful of mitzvot, there are obligations exclusively on Klal Yisrael. And then the question then becomes, so who performs them in fact? Kiddush HaChodesh, sanctifying the new moon, organizing the Ibu Hashanah, the leap year. It's a mitzvah on Klal Yisrael. But there, the Sanhedrin, the Beit HaGadol of 71, they're in charge and as a representative body in doing it on behalf of Klal Yisrael. So again, the, the question only becomes practicality. Who in fact does it, but we can define certain mitzvot as mitzvot of Klal Yisrael. Our Rebbe, the Rav Zuchan Bracha, said a very interesting idea, that there are a handful of mitzvot that actually fall into both categories. Um, he said it, in the, it was one of the last things I heard from him when I was visiting Boston in 1985 and he was ready wheeled into, uh, wheeled into the shear in a wheelchair and he, his, he cognitively wasn't 100% any longer and, but nevertheless he, we were able to squeeze a shear out of him mamish at the end of, end of his uh, teaching life I mean he lived on until 1993 but 1985 was really really at the, at the end and sometimes you know you get this flash of, uh, of brilliance of of yesteryear. It's, uh, we, we had that just for a few minutes with him. So he was talking about uh, Schaefer, and he said that Schaefer falls into both categories. <coughs> because if a person is literally on a deserted island in the Pacific Ocean or on the moon, which today is possible, you still have the mitzvah of blowing Schaefer. Fine. But the Ramam tells us beyond the mitzvah of blowing Schaefer, there's a mitzvah that the tzibur, the community, has to blow Schaefer. And we fulfill this by blowing Schaefer when we repeat the Shmonesri of Musaf. The integrating of Shaifer in the middle of Tzvilat Musaf, of Rosh Hashanah, is not the same blowing as we blow before Musaf, which is the 30 sounds. Like if you have to blow Shaifer for somebody who couldn't make it to Shul, all you have to do is blow the first 30 sounds, what we call the Tkiyot Miyushav, as if to say the sitting. The sitting means the lowercase uh, mitzvah, which is the personal mitzvah. But there's no chazarat shots repeating of Shmon when you're diving at home. So there is no blowing of the extra. Some people want to hear 100 kolot, pakashah. But that's no, there's no obligation for that. So the Rav said, and not only is it applied for Shaifer, that it's in both, but also tefillah comes in two packages. You can have tefillah b'chidut, where you're diving alone. And you can have tefillah b'tzibur, where it's not that you're diving with 9 plus 1, and now it's 10. Tefillah b'tzibur doesn't necessarily only mean a quantitative edge where now you can have Kaddish and Kedusha and Baruch and Kriyata Torah and Birkat Konim. You have all these extra add-ons if there's a minion. It goes beyond that. There's a qualitative edge. That in Tefillah B'Tzibur, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not looking at your personal file when you're asking for things. He's looking at the file of Klal Yisrael. And you have a much better shot when HaKadosh Baruch Hu is looking at the overall file than taking a peek at your file. I remember my grandfather, Shalom, used to say that uh, when you make a mishabara for somebody sick, he said, not more than once or twice, and that's it. Why? But a third time, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is examining your file to see if you deserve it. Or that person, you don't want him poking around. You don't want him poking around the private file. So, all right, you said it once, twice, okay, fine, you see your yaitza, tefillah, and so on. But um, with regard to tefillah, you do have this concept. And by the way, women are part of this 
Sgula quality of Tula Betzibur as well, that when women Davins as part of Tula Betzibur, all of the above are, are, are part of the, the Tula experience, that she becomes part of the Tula of Klal Yisrael. The, um, the Rav said it with regard to Shaifer, Tfila, and he said and Tfila basically stems from Beit HaMikdash, because Beit HaMikdash there's a split. There are some korbanot that are defined as korban yachid, private korbanot. You make a neder or nedava, for whatever reason, to bring a korban to Beit HaMikdash. A, a korban toda, a thank you korban, which today we say goimel, but in those days of Beit HaMikdash you could bring a korban toda or a korban leida for birch albert. These are private korbanot to purge yourself from tumatzara'at, uh, to get out of the leprosy mode, there's a korban. These are korbanot yachid classic, one after the other. Or korban chatat, a sin offering. That's classic, it's personal. Korban chatat, korban hasham. But then there's corporate korbanot, and that is the korban tamid of the morning and night, the daily, regular korban morning and afternoon. And then there was the korbanot musaf, for Shabbat, Rosh Chodesh, and Yom Tov, those are Kobinot Sibur. And the financing came from the collection of the Hef Shekel that everybody had to participate in, in a uniform manner. It's not like, a, you know, Muna or Amid women, you know, some give more, some give less. No, to Beit HaMikdash, everybody, the rich, the poor, everybody gave the same uniform amount because everybody before God is equal. So everybody is an exact shareholder. Nobody has more shares in the corporate activity of Beit HaMikdash than any other Jew. So it had, that's why it came from the half shekel, annual half shekel donation. So that's the, those are the korbanot tzibur. Now from all the korbanot that I mentioned, there's one korban that's a little problematic. Korban Pesach. Is it a korban yachid or korban sibur? Is it a private matter? Now, I would say that nobody came as an individual and say, here's my shepsalah, my keves, my sheep. Because, but that's too much. You don't have to eat uh, unless you're a big fresa. But uh, they, they, they took a subscription. The word the, the halacha uses is manui. We use it modern Hebrew for subscription. Which meant that we bound together several families over one sheep. I mean, you can carve it up into many, many portions of kezayat, and you can get four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten families on one sheep. And that's the way it was done. It was put together lim nuyav. But nevertheless, it's not all of Klai's role. You know, that, those families have their korban, and so on, so on, so on. It seems it has all the trimmings of a korban yachid. Because you can have a concept called korban of shutafim, of partnership. Two people want to bring a korban todah. Why? Two people, they survived the same calamity and they want to chip in together. That's okay. You're allowed to do that. The korban of shutafim. But korban of shutafim of two, of ten, a hundred, of a million is not a korban that's corporate. It's simply a korban of partnership. And partnership means individual, yachid. It's just a lot of yachidim, many yachidim put together. Corporate is something else. That's a concept of all and not one less than all. That makes it into a corporate... Uh, so it's a korban pesach, essentially a korban yachid or korban sibur. So the, the superficial uh, you know, take on this is that it's a korban yachid, even though it's a partnership type of korban, but it's certainly not a klal Yisrael, especially the whole mitzvah of Pesach Sheini comes to teach us that there are going to be people who are not going to be there. Not everybody's going to be in Yerushalayim. So there are going to be people who are not going to be there, and there's an allowance for those to bring in a month later. So is it a corporate or is it a private? So there was a great, great forsake in the 19th century. His name was Rabbi Akiva Eger, Zatzal, very famous. 
So he, um, he said that Korban Pesach is very unique and it's both Yachid and Sibur at the same time. So on the level of Korban Yachid that we all understand, on the level of Tzibur, so just because uh, not everybody in fact may have their Korban Pesach, but nevertheless there is an element of Klal Yisrael offering the Korban Pesach, a concept that's being fulfilled by everybody's Korban Pesach, but the concept is that Kalal Yisrael serves a, offers a Korban Pesach, and that's the rationale of Pesach Sheni, that we really want to get everybody into this, that even if they didn't have the opportunity in Nisan to be there, that we get the second opportunity a month later, so, so to, to bring them into the picture, even if it's a, a month late. So there is this concept of a corporate Korban as well. This is not an academic discussion. This really hits the core of the discussion of can we offer a Korban Pesach today? Now, I know you're not going to get up on the Harabayat and say this because they're going to lock you up. But um, we have a big problem, a big problem, that the police has overridden the uh, Supreme Court on this. The Supreme Court of Israel guarantees the right of every Jew to go up to Harabayat and daven and bow down and perform whatever you want to do for religious purposes on Harabayat. Says we have our rights. This went to the Bagats, it went to the Supreme Court, and, and, and the police keep saying that this is against the, you know, it's, it's not in the, in the interest of, uh, of, 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 of safety, public safety and security, and therefore we can't have it done. So there's a, there's a political issue here. I'm not here to discuss the political issue. Rabbi Kevega lived in the 19th century, there was nobody in Yisrael, and this was not uh, under discussion. What was under discussion? That if we could possibly, there's no Beit HaMikdash, and Rabbi Kivega says, we don't need a Beit HaMikdash for a Korban Pesach. All you need is, not only don't you need an altar or Mizbeach, all you have to know is the place of the Mizbeach. So if you can figure out the measurements on Harabayat, where the Mizbeach actually stood, there at that place you could offer a Korban Pesach. But there's one catch. One of the reasons that you can't have Korban Pesach is if you're Tomei. And in order to undo the Tumah, you have to have Paraduma. So we don't have that either, the Re'efah. So the whole thing is a mood issue. It's a mood issue of having Korban Pesach. But Rabbi Kivega says, no, there is a concept called Tumah Hutra B'Tzibur. That when all, well, let's just say most, majority, majority, of Am Yisrael and Tameim are, are spiritually defiled, then the laws of Tumah are suspended. And you can go up to Harabayat and offer the Korban Pesach even if we're Tameim. It's an unbelievable halakha. It's an unbelievable. And by definition, by definition, Pesach Sheni is only if a minority of Am Yisrael are Tmeim. Because if the majority would be Tmeim, there's no Pesach Sheni. They can all bring it in Nisan on Pesach Rishon. There's no need to defer to Pesach Sheni. That's a special halakha. Kivega <coughs> further says that this halakha, Tumahutra Bitzibur, only functions on the facet of the Korban Pesach that's corporate, but not private. Hence, while the individuals today cannot go up to Harabayat and offer the Korban Pesach, Am Yisrael, whoever that might be, Mr. Am Yisrael, can offer one Korban Pesach today in name of the entire nation. So that's something that is a halachic possibility today. And the only thing holding us back from doing it is the politics. Is the politics of the day. It's holding us back. Just like we get down Mincha there. <laughs> Can you imagine we bring up a Shepsula on their face? <laughs> World War III would break out. 
but uh, we're not dealing with the politics here. We're talking pure halacha. Rabbi Kimega says that we would be able to offer a Korban Pesach, one in name of Klai Yisrael. And that's very important because, as I said, if the majority of Am Yisrael are Tmeim, then there's no Pesach Sheni at all. Because everybody defers to Pesach Rishon because of Tumah, Hutra, Betzibu. Fine. Other reasons for it. No. That's correct. But the first, the whole story of Pesach Sheni comes into the Torah because of individuals who approached Moshe Rabbeinu and said, we are Tve'im, and what's with us? We would like Korban Pesach. So it's true that once the mitzvah was given, so then it already says, Derech Urchoka, it says clearly, far away, and then Chazal start reading between the lines, and it means this, and it means that, and the bottom line means everybody. But, but the story, you can't deny the fact that the story doesn't get off the ground with the issue of Tum'ah. And that led Rabbi Kivega to say uh, what he said. When we delete Tachnun in Shul on any given day, it's not because of a private matter. If you have a birthday, and to you a birthday is very important, and let's talk seriously, and I gave Shurim on this already, about the uh, Torah point of view of birthdays, and it's, even though it may start with Paroi's birthday, the only one mentioned in the Chumash, and uh, it was a pretty good day for the Sarah Mashkin, but not such a great day for the Sarah HaOfim that day. But, um, and some people think that, uh, you know, Torah has a downside on it. That's not true. Because I'll speak of the birthdays of Rabbi and Yaakov, about Moshe, David. We have a lot of material about the birthdays and what, what's important. But in Kabbalistic literature, but it's even found already in the Gemara with regard to age 60, that it should be a, a birthday celebrated. And then there's a whole discussion about 70 and 80 with Shechianu on these other um, birthdays, round-numbered birthdays. You know, the, the, it's, it's parallel to when the Prime Minister will light the fire on, the, on Yom Atzmut, right? Every decade, right? They say that. They got it from the Gemara, right? The... Uh, so there are some birthdays that are highly significant, no doubt. A person has a birthday, so he's not going to say tachno that day. No such aloha. No such aloha. You have a personal simcha, you know, you married off a child, a grandson, very basameach. Say the day of the Erusin, you know, you, that morning you're not going to say tachno. There's no such aloha. The deleting of tachno has only to do with a simcha of a klal Yisrael nature. So first of all, it's got to be an official yom tuf, that's mentioned in the calendar is an official Yom Tov where the Shalosh Regalim and Rosh Chodesh and Shabbat and Chanukah and Purim. That, that's all the Rambam says, by the way. That's what I just said now. And then some of the minor Yom Tovim that are already added in Shulchan Aruch, like, uh, like Tu Bishvat and Tu Ba'av and like Ba'amai, all kinds of add-ons and periods of time that also are associated with communal Simcha. But it also says in Shulchan Aruch something strange, that if there's a Brit Milah, if the Baal Brit, and who is the Baal Brit? So it's defined as one of three people. The father of the baby, and by the way, it could be the mother of the baby too, but usually she's not in shul. Uh, she may not be in shul that morning, but at least the days of Shulchan Aruch, they didn't think so. But it could be. But really, maybe not, because the father has the mitzvah of the Brit, not the mother. The, um, I can prove it, by the way. If a baby is born and then the father is not around or he has died, it could be, you know, illness, he was killed, whatever it was, chayalim have fallen and not made it to the Brit of their children. These things have happened, unfortunately. So who has the obligation to make the Brit? You say, the, the wife. 
The wife may do it in fact, but the obligation goes to Klal Yisrael. It's on Beitin. Beitin has the obligation to make sure it's a Brit. Now the wife, the mother, the surviving mother can do it, you know, to make sure, make the arrangements, as we say. But the obligation, halakhically, is not on the mother. The, um, the, 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 um, the Baal Brit is either the father of the baby, the Moel, or the Sandak. Or the Sandak, the one who's going to hold the baby at the Brit. Um, and there's a whole question uh, that they have to be present at the minion or could it be that that shul during that day there's going to be a brit so, so that's different shuls have different uh, uh, customs in this and uh, most shuls uh, like to take the light way out and if they hear there's going to be a brit three in the afternoon in the shul so they already get word in the morning to delete tachnun and everybody's very happy if it's Monday and Thursday because it's a longer tachnun and so on Beseda. so what does that have to do with uh, you know Klai it has everything to do with Klai Yisrael. A Brit is an affirmation of the Brit of a Romavino. If this doesn't have to do with Klai Yisrael, what does have to do with Klai Yisrael? So no doubt that we always saw the Brit Milah as an affirmation of the Brit Ben Abtarim with a Romavino, with a Ben God and a Kodesh Baruch Hu, and it's certainly a Simcha of Klai Yisrael. In the Altnoi Shul in Prague, some of you may have even visited there, so there the Minak was in the days of the Maharalmi Prague in the 17th century, that if there was a Brit in the Alt Neuschul, the Gabaim sent word to every shul in Prague to delete Tachnum. That shows what kind of a central synagogue it was, that it impacted on all the other shuls. Tremendous. So that was, uh, that's what Brit. Another time that seems to be personal is a Chatan uh, you know, that comes to shul during Sheva Brachot. So Chatan that comes during Sheva Brachot, everybody's very happy when the Chassan comes, you know, especially if it's Monday and Thursday. And uh, I had once in Ramot, uh, Pitama was a mincha, and somebody told me, and there's Rat Nashim upstairs, there's a column in Sheva Brachos. My first question was, where's the guy? I mean, what, what, is, what is she doing here without the fellow? Don't tell me he got mincha ready. You know, like, they're supposed to be together, right? Yeah, that's halacha, by the way. We can share Brachos, and that's what they go their ways. They're, and I remember once in Mayu, one of the great Rashi Shiva, Rabbi David Lifshitz, a fellow who got married three days earlier, showed up to the Shir. Rabbi David Lifshitz gave it him over the head. So you're not to be without your wife. So the next day, they came together to the Shir. Mamashkach. <laughs> <laughs> and then he couldn't say anything. <laughs> he was stuck. <laughs> so, um, so the truth of the matter is, if a Kala comes to Shul from the Zat Nashim, and the Gabayim know about it, so they should delete Tachnan also. So what's it? This seems to be a private matter. It's not private at all. Sheva Brachot demands a minion. And the minute you have a demand for a minion, it's, a, it's Klai Yisrael. It's a simcha of Klai Yisrael. It's not a private matter at all. So, so those are the reasons. So the question is, in all the sources of not saying Tachnan that I have down on sources number two, where it starts, with, I'm not going to read the whole thing now, but source number two, when the Rambam tells us about Tachnan, in the third paragraph where it says Halachar Kavav he gives us the Rambam says the Minak Pashut the widespread custom is to delete Tachlan on Shabbat and Yom Tovim and Rosh Hashanah and Rosh Chodesh and Chanukah and Purim and Mincha before these days fine in source number three in Shulchan Aruch the list is expanded to Tu Ba'av and Tu B'Shvat and, 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 and other things and the Ramah adds even like Ba'omer and Erev Rosh Hashanah you have all kinds of add-ons and then in the last paragraph on the page it says, Siv Zayin, Minak Pashut, the widespread custom, Shaloli Popanayim, Kol Chodesh Nisan, the whole month of Nisan, Tachnan is out, and also not in Tisha Bav, and not the days between Yom Kippur and Sukkot, and in parenthesis, the Ramah says, Velo Mitchilat Rosh Chodesh Sivan, Adachar Shavuot, not from Rosh Chodesh Sivan until after Shavuot, which by the way, we've expanded this until a week after Shavuot, till the 12th, so that's also deserves, but I'm going to do this now, 
But the Pesach Sheni is not mentioned at all in any of these sources. In the 19th century, the author of the Aruch HaShulchan, that's Rebchil Mechalalevi Epstein, from Nevada, he says, Pesach Sheni is not mentioned, Vezepele. This is, wow, I don't understand why, he says. Vezepele. And then he writes, he, he, he thinks that the Minak Asfaradim is that they don't say Tachdan on Pesach Sheni. I'm not sure, did he mean, did he mean, Eidota Mizrach, Minag Asfaradim, we call Eidota Mizrach? Was he acquainted with Minhag of Eidota Mizrach sitting in Navardak in Eastern Europe? I'm not sure. Or did he mean Chsidim, who David Nusach Svard, and that's what he meant, Vesvardim. But whatever it is, he knew that there were those who didn't say Tachna, but he also knew that we, Ashkenazim, do say Tachna. But but from that line, from the, his cryptic language, Vizepele, it's, it's really a wonder why Pesel Shani's not there. So let's correct the situation and throw it in. So from then on, the calendar's already included Pesel Shani as one of the days. Now, why was it not included? Because it never had anything to do with being a corporate nature. By definition, it was for individuals. The minute, if, if you only had the minority of Am Yisrael who weren't there, then you have Pesach Sheni. But once you have the majority of Am Yisrael to be inmate, then there is no Pesach Sheni. Then they all make it in Pesach Rishon. So it seems that Pesach Sheni is a very, very private affair. On the other hand, you can make a case that even though it might be a private affair, you can't deny the fact that Pesach Sheni derives some halachic energy from the first Pesach, from the Pesach Rishon. It seems to be that. It doesn't seem to be an independent concept. Well, what seems and not seems is totally irrelevant. There are differences of opinion in Chazal on this. Let's look at the second side on top. The Gemara here tells us, and I'm just going to jump to the three lines from the bottom of the source, where it says, what is the dispute all about? Rabbi Savar, Rabbi Yudah Hanasi, the editor of the Mishnah. Sheni, Pesach Sheni, Regel Atzmo. It's an independent Chag. And as an independent Chag, Rabbi Yudah Hanasi is of the opinion that who is, obl- who is obligated in Pesach Sheni and Chodesh Iyar, in the month of Iyar? Anybody but anybody who wasn't around in Chodesh Nisan to do the Korban Pesach. I don't need excuses, I don't need reasons, I don't have to know any information. Just answer the question. Were you there? No. Okay, so you have Pesach Sheni. And because of that definition of Pesach Sheni, Regal B'fneat it's an independent Yom Tov, detached from Pesach Rishon, totally detached, it's a new invention, if you may, in the Torah, that has similarities to Pesach and Nisan. But it's not the same thing. It's a new concept. So if a goy is asked, were you there for Pesach and Chodesh Nisan? No, I was a goy. <laughs> okay, so you have Pesach Sheni. And to the Bar Mitzvah boy on Yom Atzmut, were you there on Pesach? No, I was a Katan. Okay, so you have Pesach Sheni. That's the opinion of Rabbi Yudan And we saw the Sefer Achinuch integrates that because he... I was going to say stole it from the Rambam, borrowed it from the Rambam. Rambam adopts that opinion. But there's another opinion in town that says that Pesach Sheni is a makeup of Pesach Rishon. A makeup. It's not an independent idea. It's not a new concept in the Torah. 
It's the same, but just applied a month later. And this second opinion comes in two flavors. Flavor one is tashlumin, which means makeup. We're familiar with that in other areas of halakha. And flavor two is called kapara. It's atonement even. You should have been there. Okay, Besedi, you weren't there. We're not asking you for a doctor's note. You should have been there. And it was an avera that you weren't there, but we're going to let you off the hook. with Pesach Shein. You're going to be atoned. It's going to be a kapara. So now we actually have two opinions which span out to three. One opinion is Rabbi Danasi, who says that Pesach Sheni is an independent concept. And the second opinion and the third opinion, whether it's Tashlum and Mekam or Kapara, both agree that it is linked to the first Pesach, which means if you only those who are obligated in the first Pesach, is there something to talk about for Pesach Sheni? Because it's a Mekam. Right? In university, when they have a makeup exam, if you were supposed to take it the first time around, but if you weren't supposed to take it the first time around, what's there to discuss about a makeup? There's no makeup. So if you were not there on the first time around because you were going, were you obligated in Pesach? No, you were going. And if you were a katan, if you were under bar mitzvah, you were obligated? No, you were under bar mitzvah. So then there's no makeup and there's no kapara because there's nothing to make up. You have to be there for, 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 for the obligation on stage one in order to have a makeup. Vakshar Rivka. And they have to eat the Pesach Shemi in a group also? No, they, a, they don't have to do it as a group. They could do it as a group. They could. But uh, they can, you know, take slices and go home and, uh, and so on. Right. The, um, the, 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 this this machloket is very, 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 very important. Whether it's independent, Yom Tov, or whether it stems from Pesach Rishon. I'm just going to give you a good example of, of, of what this means. What happens if, um, God forbid, a person in the morning hours, early morning hours, gets a, uh, a, a phone call that an immediate relative passed away that throws the person into the status of Aninut, before Avilut. Avilut begins after the burial, after the Leviathan. So this is an interim <coughs> period where during that period of Aninut, you're not obligated, you're exempt from mitzvot, like davening. So um, let's assume a person gets the bad news at uh, 4 in the morning, before the break of dawn. Obviously not going to be a Leviah at 4 in the morning, but a Leviah at uh, 12 o'clock, 2 o'clock, whatever. So shacharit, the person's not going to daven. The person's not going to daven shacharit. But now it's 2 in the afternoon. They did the Leviah. And we know that if a person does not daven shacharit for whatever reason, there's a concept of makeup, of mincha, you daven twice shmon It's called tashlumin. So does that person have to say mincha twice? So the answer is, it depends when he got the phone call. If he got it before the break of dawn, he got it after the break of dawn. If he got it before the break of dawn, then immediately the person was never obligated in shacharit as the day began. So if he was never obligated, there's no makeup in the afternoon for mincha. But if the person got the phone call, let's say at 6.30, after sunrise, the only thing is he davened 7.30 every morning. So in fact, he didn't daven shacharit yet. So he's not going to daven shacharit. But he entered into the zone of obligation. So that person, after the Leviah, two, three in the afternoon, when he davens mincha, he's going to have to say a second Shmon Esri. It's an interesting example of you have to know whether or not the person was obligated in order to determine whether there's a makeup. There's no obligation, there's no makeup. According to the Rambam, that Pesach Sheni is an independent mitzvah, so it has nothing to do with Klau Yisrael. It's just a whole bunch of individuals, that's all. 
So what does it have to do with us today? Nothing. It's no different than the day before the 13th of Iyar and the day after the 15th of Iyar. So go on saying Tachnam. It's, it's a regular day. It does not impact at all. But if you take the second and third opinion, that Pesach Sheni derives its halachic energy from the first Pesach, that's a different story. Then there is some aspect of the corporate nature of Korban Pesach that's embedded even in the Pesach Sheni. And the fact is that the Torah reading on Pesach, the last day of Cholamoyed, is the mitzvah of Pesach Sheni. We read the parasha from Baalotcha, which indicates that there is something there. And somehow or another, for so many generations, the focus has been that Pesach Sheni was an individual, and Pesach Sheni never made it into the list of Tachnun deletion. But the last 150 years, something changed in the world of Minak. And the attitude of what Pesach Sheni was all about also took a little bit of a switch. And we're now viewing it in its corporate side. And as I mentioned already in the name of Rabbi Vega, the Korban Pesach itself is endowed with this duality of the single, the private side, and the corporate side. Why did this historic phenomena take place, which led all the shuls today to delete Tachnun and see it more in its, to focus on the corporate side? Maybe it has to do with Shivat Zion coming back to Eretz Yisrael in our day. Maybe it has something to do with it. That we're getting closer and closer and closer to the realization of restoration of Klai Yisrael in Eretz Yisrael. Maybe. Maybe. I'm just, so it's a conjecture on my part. But if we take a look at source number six, source number six tells us the story in the Chumash. Anonymous people. Moshe Rabbeinu is approached by people, people who are spiritually defiled. And they ask Moshe Rabbeinu, why should we be left out? And they ask politely. They ask respectfully. Why should we be left out? And to them, Kadosh Baruch Hu gives them the mitzvah of Pesach Sheni. So Rashi tells us in source number six, <laughs> This parsha of Pesach Sheni should have been given like every other standard mitzvah with every standard beginning by Daber Hashem Moshe Lemor, Daber B'nei Yisrael Mata Lehem, and so on. But it doesn't. It's introduced with this story. These people, these anonymous people, warranted or worthy that it was given through their action. A person who has schuyot, piles on another schut. It's like a, it's effervescent. It continues. And to show us that great idea that people who have schuyot, sees to it that you end up doing more schuyot. It's like mitzvah goreret mitzvah. One mitzvah right, pulls to the next one. So in source number seven, the question of identity. So who are they? Torah doesn't say a word. But Chazal try to figure out who might they be. So number one, we, have a, uh, we are told in Parshat Bishalach that Moshe Rabbeinu is going to fulfill the oath that Yosef gave us in the end of Sefer Breshit, not to leave him, not to leave him in Egypt, but to take his bones and re-inter in Eretz Israel. And Moshe Rabbeinu personally is going to see to it. Says so in the, clearly in the Chumash. So did Moshe Rabbeinu physically carry the coffin? No, he had, so he had a Hever Kedisha do the job for him. No. So here these people are carrying the role of Yosef, and it's now the 8th of Nisan, the 9th of Nisan, 10th of Nisan. <laughs> What's with Korban Pesach? We're going to be Tmeim. 
So they came to Moshe and they said, hold it. <laughs> What's with us? We can't become Tahor because it's already after the 8th of Nisan. The 7th of Nisan would be the last day that we could have made a Paraduma. But it's already too late. That's one group of people. The other group of people were in the tragedy of the deaths of Nadab and Avihu. There's a dispute when this happened. One opinion was it happened on Rosh Chodesh Nisan. Rashi takes that view. But Eben Ezra takes a different view that it happened on the 8th of Nisan. Vayiba Yomashmini means the 8th of Nisan. Start counting. Who was asked to bury the bodies of Nadab and Abihu? His cousins, Mishael and El-Tzafan. Torah says clearly. And one second. They're never going to be Tahorim by the time Pesach rolls around. So if, if this happened on the 8th of uh, Nisan and they came to Moshe with a Ta'ana with a claim, well, what's with us? And the third opinion is you think the Malach HaMavet was on strike in the desert? People died. So anybody that died, the immediate family had to deal with the Kfura. So whoever died on the 8th or 9th or 10th or 11th or 12th of Nisan, it's May and mate. And they came to Moshe. So what's with us? That's what the Gemara says in the underline in source number 7. Nosei Aron Oshal Yosef Hayu, Mishael Ve'el Tzafan Hayu, Oskim Be'met Mitzvah Hayu. Those are the big three possibilities. And what's interesting is that it's possible to link these three identities with the three definitions of what Pesach Sheni is all about. If you take those who carried the... Um, let, let's begin with the last one first. Oskin Be'met Mitzvah. Meit Mitzvah means a new, unforeseen scenario has just occurred. The phrase is found in Parshat Naso, Ki alav meit befeta piton. Befeta piton. A minute ago, everything was fine. And now somebody had a sudden heart attack, a cardiac arrest, and dead. And it's not, not something that was anticipated. You couldn't prepare yourself for it. You would just so it hit you that there's a scenario of Tumat Meit. Right there, right there. That's a new situation. And here they came to Moshe Rabbeinu and said, well, what's with us? We want Korb Pesach. And Kadosh Baruch said, yeah, you'll have Pesach Sheni, and it's going to be a new scenario. It's going to be regal b'fneatzmo. We're going to make for you a new Yom Tov that didn't exist before, and from now on it's going to exist for special situations. That was one definition. Second definition is those who carried the Aron, the coffin of Yosef. Now, with regard to the burial of Yosef, it's interesting that source number eight, the Rambam talks about burial in Eretz Yisrael. And there happen to be two opinions in Chazal whether this is good or not so good for the Jews. I mean, my gosh... You know, coming, standing up, the guy wasn't interested, but to come, you know, horizontal in a coffin, now we're coming on Aliyah. Okay, it costs less, actually. Even though it does cost money to, be, to come for Chutzlars, but it's less than an apartment, right? Bet Shemesh in Eretz HaChayim is a lot less than a deer in Katamar, that I can tell you. So it's cheaper to come in a coffin, okay. But uh, the, the Gemara tells us that one of the some the, some of the Chachamim in Eretz Yisrael saw Levaya coming from Bavel, and they said, "Now they're coming to bring Tuma into Eretz Yisrael. Thank you, but no thank you." So there are two opinions in the Gemara. The Rambam, you can see, he's deliberating, but then he he says, "You know what? The bottom line is, it's a positive thing." Say Ilmad, look at the last line of source number six. Say Ilmad. You can derive this from Yaakov Avinu of Yosef HaTzadik. You see that Yaakov asked for Kfura in Eretz Yisrael. Yosef asked for Kfura in Eretz Yisrael. Why does the Ramam have to tell us Yosef? We would have known already everything from Yaakov. Good enough. Yaakov requested to be buried in Eretz Yisrael. The difference between Yaakov and Yosef was, 
Yaakov died in Mitzrayim, but was not buried at all. And he asked for burial in Eretz Yisrael. Yosef was buried in Mitzrayim, and he asked for reinterment. That's a chidush. That even a reinterment, which normally we don't do because of Kovar Ahmed, but to reinter in Eretz Yisrael is permissible halachically. And it's derived from Yosef. Who understood this better? That you can have a makeup situation in being buried in Eretz Yisrael. You couldn't have it the first time around because of circumstance, but now Yosef's going to have a reinterment in Eretz Yisrael. Those people who are carrying the coffin of Yosef on their shoulders, they knew it better than anybody else. And they came to Moshe, what about Kovan Pesach? And he said, all right, we'll make a t- mitzvah that has to do with tashlumen, with makeup. You'll get the makeup to Pesach Sheni. And then comes the third, the two cousins who buried Nadav and Avihu. Already in the Chabalai, when Salah pointed out that in Parshat Shmini, there's an identical passage of the acceptance of the korbanot and the singing, the fire came out from heaven and consumed the korbanot. The exact same phrase, two psukim later. So Nechama said, apparently, for however we're going to begin to understand this, became part of the korbanot of the day. Kedosh Baruch Hu took them, and that's a sheer in itself, to try to understand what the Kedosh Baruch Hu was doing there, why this happened, what was the essence of the tragedy. But there was something about the totality of the kapara, because the kapara for the eagle, for the golden calf, could not occur unless everything, but everything went 1,000% perfectly. 1,000%. At that moment, there could be no toleration of any type of disorder. And if you recall, when they brought the Eish Zarah, the foreign fire, which is debatable what it was, the Chazal don't, they, they have different opinions of what exactly happened, but that's not the issue. They did something that was not called for. And the Torah says, Under the word lo, there's a rare trap, tam. It's called the Mercha Kfula. Now I know this trap because it was my Bamisu Parsha in Toldot. And it's read, Asher Lo Darga. Asher some way of emphasizing the word lo, as if the Balkorai is reading Asher lo, 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 lo. Not this, not this. That was the chayt. That was the chayt. Something went terribly wrong for a split second, and all the kapara went down the drain. And in order to salvage the kapara, they become part of the korban scene of that mo- of that moment, which means this was an act of atonement. And who understood it better than anybody else? Those two poor cousins, El Mishael and Al who had to bury them and so on. And they came to Moshe Rabbeinu. What's a pesach sheni? And Moshe said, "You get a pesach sheni that's going to have the trimmings of kapara of atonement." So each one of the three possibilities of who might be the, uh, the, the, the Anashim, these anonymous people, correspond to the triple-edged dispute on how we identify or understand, describe uh, what Pesach Sheni is all about. Is it an independent mitzvah? Is it Tashlumen, a makeup? Is it atonement? The first opinion means the Pesach Sheni is not relevant to us at all. At all. Because it 
No relevance. There's no, there's no Pesach Rishon for Korban Pesach this year. There's no Pesach Sheni. But for the other two, that they, whether it's Tashlumen or Kapara, it does emanate from Klai Yisrael. So maybe there's something to talk about, that Pesach Sheni has some element of corporate nature, and that in itself would dictate that maybe we could delete Tachnun, as we will this coming Sunday, as mentioned in every calendar, because if they don't, the Gabbai's going to get you know, shechted, and that's for sure. That's like the worst crime in shul. Say tachnun on a day that you're not supposed to say tachnun, right? The, um, and I do believe that perhaps this is all in line with Shibat Zion Biyamenu, and uh, God willing, uh, uh, one day we may have an opportunity of, uh, and, and what's going to happen if Peter Mikdash is built today or tomorrow, or at the end of this week? Are we going to bring Pesach Sheni or not? So that we'll talk about at home and see if it fits into this whole discussion. And uh, I will refer you just to a section in Divrei Hayamim. If anybody wants to do some homework, because uh, I wrote an article about this a few years ago, but uh, there's a section in Divrei Hayamim, Bet, 30th chapter, Perak Lamed, that seems to indicate that if nobody in Klai Yisrael did Pesach Rishon, and now there's opportunity Pesach Sheni, we might be able to have Pesach Sheni in a corporate manner this coming Sunday. So, maybe, maybe, okay.